0: I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Uh, Today's topic is going to be talking a little bit about healthcare and generative AI. Actually, it's going to talk about a lot of it. And the interesting thing that I've been reading or not reading about is how AI is going to either start to alleviate provider burnout or it's going to eliminate provider burnout by having this wonderful thing come and take care of all the issues that are in healthcare and healthcare documentation. Well, most of us who have thought about this more than about 10 seconds realize that that just isn't going to happen. And the interesting thing is that I've been in this been in medicine for almost 30 years. The first 20 was spent as president of a very large multi-specialty group practice. And we had physician burnout back in the day when we had paper charts. So physician burnout and provider burnout is not a new thing. Now, I think EMRs have contributed to that to a degree, but I don't see a lot of interaction between the actual providers and the people developing AI solutions for those providers, actually getting to what they really, really need, want, desire, and really what's gonna make their life easier. Right. So today's expert is the chief product strategist for Altera, Dr. Bob Taylor. Um, he received his medical education at Ohio University and his residency training in internal medicine right here at Mercy Hospital in Pittsburgh, where I'm sitting. Okay. Um, Interestingly, I did my internship there too. Uh, He furthered his training in biomedical informatics and fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh, and he has worked in a lot of places and has several years of experience in developing ambulatory and acute care EHR solutions. Um, I would deem Bob an expert in documentation because he's been dealing with it for 20 years, and I've known Bob for a while. Um, And I have a he has a couple of patents related to structured clinical documentation, which is also quite impression impressive, and he's a Google Cloud certified professional data architect um, and has been dealing with this now for some time and how to search and find out what actually we can do with AI in healthcare. So, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks for inviting me, Jay. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Um, now, you've been in the industry quite a while. Yes. <laughs> You've been in a lot of different places. Yep. Um, before we get into the history of EHRs and how they've evolved with all of this, tell me a little bit about your career path and how you sure. wound up at Altera.
1: Sure. Uh, uh, many people would describe it as schizophrenic. Uh, I, I call myself a journeyman. Uh, I, I enjoy change and learning new things. So I I, I can tell you, you mentioned my residency in, in Pittsburgh uh, that's that's where I decided to to make the leap into healthcare IT. Uh, I can remember distinctly a flu season in probably 1998 or 99, where half of our internal medicine residents were out with the flu, and I personally had to handwrite uh, about 20, 25 admission history and physicals to to the ward. Talk talk about burnout, right? Back back then, handwritten notes. Uh, so I had a, a technology background, although I was pre-med in, in college, uh, I had a minor in, in computer science and was was programming all along. Actually, I don't know if I've told you this before, Jay, I took a year off between my second and third year, did a dot-com startup uh, with, with my brother and, and really learned web technologies really early in the industry, You know, mid 90s timeframe. So I started putting two and two together, looking at the you know the challenges of written documentation, uh, and started designing out uh, an EHR system. Uh, it was pretty rudimentary, but we were using it within the residency program uh, to create structured templates with some branching logic in it. Uh, I I wound up at the end of that uh, training program hooking up with Greenway. Uh, Greenway was a small startup at the time in, in Georgia with, uh, I think, 10, 15 employees at the time. They had a practice management system. And we decided to join forces and we built out the, the Greenway Prime Suite uh, system. So so that was early days. And and then, you, you know, you, you mentioned some of the other things. I did similar things developing a, a web-based EHR at EMDs and worked at scripts for years and a number of other EHR
0: systems. So you've been around the horn a few times, really. Is that what, <laughs> that's what that means. Exactly. And you're still, and you're still doing it, which is also encouraging. <laughs> so you've been in, in a lot of EHR platforms. Yes. Um, and we've seen industry change, a lot of industry change, especially the last 10 to 15 years. It's just been crazy. Um, how would you characterize the change in the EHR industry as you've seen it? Yeah. Well, so, so
1: there's a dramatic contrast between when I started <laughs> and where we are now. Uh, the, the Greenway days early on were beyond fun. I mean, we were, you know, working 80 to 100 hours a week. We had a, a big group of developers that were equally passionate uh, and committed to true innovation. We didn't really have a lot of boundaries back then, right? Regulations were basically non-existent. We were completely focused on on the user experience and you know it 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 was great to be able to do user-centric design although the technologies were kind of limited back then we're talking internet explorer five so building a web application was challenging right but we had we had a great group of of developers we had uh a lot of product managers with clinical expertise and you know we had a, a group of investors that were all clinicians in our community uh, so you know, we we did a lot of rapid rapid prototyping, designing, including all those stakeholders. Uh, a lot of that has gone out of the industry. You, you know, I I, I personally uh, attribute a lot of that to what happened with regulation over the last twenty years. Uh, you know, especially smaller vendors with limited resources to commit to to R and D when you're spending. 90% of your budget every year, keeping up with regulatory compliance, you, you know, it, it makes things difficult. And, you know, the challenge a lot of vendors have, uh, the vast majority, if not all have, is, you know, when you architect a solution, you, you, you create your information architecture, your solution architecture, based on the requirements you're aware of at the time. And we have incrementally added in succession over the last decade in particular requirements that none of us con- contemplated at the time. And the result is bloated systems with a lot of technical debt. You know, the information architecture in particular becomes bloated. You start, you know, putting duct tape and you know glue in places to keep things together. You know, and and that's that's where we stand. We there's a lot of promising technology, but we all, you know, collectively have to address that technical debt before moving forward.
0: So, tell me a little bit about the challenges you see in these systems going forward. I mean, we're dominated by a couple of major players. Yeah and I'm, I'm a firm believer that somewhere out there is the next generation of EMRs that's going right. to put a lot of people to shame once they finally get released and physicians start using them. So tell me a little about the challenges that you see in the future.
1: Yeah, well, so from a purely technical
0: perspective,
1: uh, most of the solutions on the market uh, are, you know, on-premise solutions. The total cost of ownership is, is fairly high. Uh, you know, I, I I think we all recognize uh, that we need need to um, move to SaaS architectures, software as a service, uh, where you know the, the the hardware considerations, the staffing, the expertise to manage systems is you know uh, outsourced and uh, and and done in a much more efficient way. Uh and beyond that, just on the uh usability front, there is enormous potential to reinvent workflows that you know we collectively have been implementing over you know 20 to 30 years now. Uh before we had the technical advantages we have today.
0: So being a doc and being a technical person at the same time, which is a very unique thing. Yeah. Um you have been working with clinical data for a long time. So you've been a medicine customer for a long time, multiple different ways as well. So what are you seeing the the role of of granular clinical data, you know, going forward? And in particular, it comes to mind that we're going to be exchanging medical records and should be exchanging medical records on a routine basis in a useful format so where do you see that that granular structured clinical data going in the future?
1: Yeah, so so the uh the the common complaint we get from customers, and this is uh customers across all the EHRs where I've worked, is the the I'm all out of clicks problem. Uh and y- y- you know, in defense of us on the on the vendor side, we didn't want that to happen, right? But there's been this convergence of clinical variables regulatory variables uh billing related variables that in combination kind of force a lot of discrete data requirements you know up till now there hasn't been a great solution without forcing a lot of clicks on providers right so the data requirements aren't going to change we still need discrete data uh for all of those, you know, from all those different perspectives, right? What we need is radical reinvention of those workflows to facilitate that entry, uh you know, leveraging the patient, leveraging AI, uh in in revolutionary ways uh to, re- to reduce the load on the
0: on the providers. Well, let's talk a little bit about Altera and the direction that you guys are taking yeah. in regards to just what you said. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so, so, you know, our 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 vision is to do exactly what I explained, right, which is, uh, or mentioned a, a second ago, right, which is, you know, we want to dramatically improve that user experience by facilitating rapid entry in more intuitive ways. And, you know, m- most EHRs today collect encounter data in largely unstructured free text, right? All of the big players do this. Uh the health summary type data, medication lists, allergy lists, that stuff is all structured and discrete. But this extremely important encounter related data related to you know the subjective, the objective findings, the uh assessments, risk assessments and all and all that, uh are, are largely free text. Uh, So we have, you know, two real real goals with our uh, implementation of of Medicine and and Quip, which is, you know, creating a solution that allows rapid frictionless entry of that discrete data in new ways, uh, while benefiting from the, you know, the Medicine Interface terminology, giving giving us the USCDI compliance, right? Those uh, reference terminology mappings that are required for value sets, for creating patient cohorts for downstream application.
0: You know, I just was thinking, uh, you know, interestingly, when you talk about things like that, I've I've had a lot of colleagues recently actually uh, talk about, well, I just want to talk into a microphone and let it happen. Well, it's interesting that they would even say that given the fact that Why do we create documentation to begin with? We just talked about all the regulations, which is absolutely, we got to comply with that. It's here to stay. And I have to tell my colleagues, too bad that we got to comply. But what's interesting about that is what's the reason we document anyway? And I think we've kind of lost the fact of why we actually do that. And it's really for three reasons. One, for the patient. So we understand a picture of what's going on. The second is for us. The provider, so we know what we've done and can support what we've done, yeah. And it's what happens to us if we step on front of a bus, yeah. There's got to be an accurate medical record exactly going forward. So, really, documentation has three functions you know, regulatory, but really, it's patient for you and me, and then anyone else that's going to take care of these folks. So, let's talk a little bit about generative AI, which has been absolutely a frenzy. I've been seeing all of the health advertisements about what's going to be talked about. I think that's next week um, at health, regarding generative AI and what it can do, what it can't do. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about some of the the pitfalls that you have discovered when you're dealing with this.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so, uh, when i initially started working late last year with with the generative ai i was uh you know like everyone else in the industry extremely excited ab- about the, the potential uh and and quickly ran into some roadblocks blo- that have been written about extensively uh the, the if you spend more than 10 minutes with it uh asking it clinical questions you'll quickly realize that it comes up with some amazing answers and some really off the wall answers uh and you know people have have labeled that hallucinations where basically if if a question is asked where the knowledge is was not included in its training or there's some ambiguity there it'll fill in the blanks and it does it in a convincing way right so it's certain about its made up answer right but you as a consumer of that do not understand that it's fiction right which which is a real challenge and you know after my initial testing where where i would give it for example some of the ENM coding scenarios or um uh, you know just regular medical coding asking it to take this dictation and give me a code it'll give you codes right sometimes they're right other times there's not and there's no way for an end user to really distinguish between the two uh, now, the the cool thing is there is a tremendous amount of research across all industries, right, to solve that problem. And there are patterns of implementation that directly address that. Uh, there's, you know, it, 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 there, there's a lot of modeling around human cognition. Uh, there's a, a couple of different approaches like chain of thought, where you 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 treat the AI solution as a you know an expert that needs to find rules that they can step through in sequence and that chain of thought is really what what we've uh wound up gravitating toward on our side there are some more advanced models out there and we'll be exploring
0: them as they evolve so tell me what you see as the possible applications yeah basically well, now and maybe yeah. even going forward oh sure yeah i
1: mean the, the first one that know everyone is excited about is the ambient listening solutions right i mean we literally you know have gotten contacted by dozens of customers uh about our plans related to this and we are doing pilots with a number of of vendors uh and and are hoping to implement that in the next uh 12 months uh and for those listening who aren't familiar with Nuance Dax or there's companies like DeepScribe and Ambience and uh, uh, Nabla, Uh, those solutions allow you to, to, you know, start, the solution listens in the background, you have a natural conversation with a patient and it uh, creates a transcribed note. And, uh, you know, we see that as, Potentially a huge in improvement in, in provider uh, efficiency if at least the subjective portion of a note, chief complaint, review of systems, HPI can be collected in that you know passive way. Uh, so so that's the, the the first area we're we're looking, uh, and and we could talk about challenges related to that here in a second, right? <laughs> but we're also looking. You know down the road leveraging it as as a second uh, of opinion uh source so to help craft the differential diagnosis right in a complex scenario not to make clinical uh you know diagnostic decisions or therapeutic management decisions but to provide you know a second opinion in cases where you know a solution is is not obvious Uh, But again, we need to vet those solutions. It's not something we're planning on implementing, you know, in the immediate future. Uh, And there are a lot of other cases we could talk all day about all of the potential. One of the things I'm excited about related to clinical documentation is leveraging templates, whether it be from, you know, Quip kind of templates that are, you know, patient focused, uh, where I can feed that to a large language model and have via a chat, kind of interaction with a patient ask a very structured set of you know uh initial visit questions or pre encounter questions uh you know that'll help with a physician burnout or care team burnout having a lot of that information collected
0: beforehand so so what do you, what do you see some of the challenges and the pitfalls here um obviously yeah. it's not going to work out of the box we just talked yeah. about that yes um and well, you so- and we've had conversations, you and I, about guidelines, guide rails, what do you want to call it? Yes. But It's that constraint of yeah. these, these large language models. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so, so uh, well, the, the first thing I was going to mention related to the ambient l- listening. We, we don't see implementing that as a complete replacement for legacy documentation solutions. We see the approach, the ideal approach being leveraging... Um, you, you know knowledge models of uh, clinical interface terminology uh like quip right like medicine uh to be able to uh use for targeting uh of free text so that we we can map uh dictation to you, you know structured entry to ensure that those uh, guidelines; those uh, requirements for documentation are being met, right? So we 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 don't see them as as completely separate solutions. We see the ideal holy grail solution as being a hybrid of the two.
0: So you know, interestingly, you, you say that because right before I we started this podcast, I was in a meeting where we were going through a lot of the QPP and CQMs that yeah. are necessary yes. uh, these days, and they some are quite complex. Um, yes. There's a lot of data. So talk a little bit about how the approach of taking that free text cloud, I'm going to call it that, that by the way, in my humble opinion, after reading thousands of notes in my lifetime, having reading a free text blob is almost harder yes. than anything else because you're trying to pick out little discrete pieces of information. If that blob can be put in a format that I'm used to, exactly, then I can pick that information up very, very quickly as a clinician. So talk a little bit about, you know, the, yeah. that little interaction there and getting that, that free text data into all of the things that we now have to provide data for. Right. Exactly.
1: Well, and, you know, the, the thing about a solution uh, like Quip and, you know, other products on on the market that allow you to build a, a structured skeletal structure for a progress note or any other document type is, to your previous point, Jay, is predictable. When some other provider in your clinic reviews that note in your absence, right? Uh, they know exactly where that data is located. The subjective findings are here, the objective findings, the assessment and plan, compared to traditional dictation that we all did years ago, where it was all meshed together and reviewing that note for you to parse out those individual data points would be difficult, right? So, uh, you know, now there is some capability where with these ambient type solutions to parse out that data and put things logically into categories. But we still need to parse out, right, those discrete findings to make sure that a diabetic foot exam was was done because the patient's a diabetic, right, or you know to make sure that any clinical quality measure uh, related data is recorded, or the patient is high risk, right? They're a, uh, a chronic disease patient, CF, CHF, right, uh, uh, diabetes right? We want to make sure that we've addressed those clinical variables specifically. How do we do that, right? We're not going to ask the large language model to implement all of those uh, business rules, right? It's not aware of the vast majority of those, and they are constantly evolving. We need to bake those rules into our underlying technology and allow the large language model to be described, right? The, The most advanced natural language processing solution any of us have seen, that cannot just handle lexical variants, synonyms, acronyms. uh, It can actually reason that, you know, I have a field in my form that's this. I have this free text blob. How do I answer that question? And in our testing, that's where it's amazing, right? It it can
0: reliably fill in those fields. So I've also read a lot, and usually this is in not medical type informatics or or structure, but it's mostly to lay folks that are out there saying that, you know, I think that that chat GPT is going to replace a physician. It's going to replace them. It, yeah. I'll be able to. And quite frankly, I've seen some implementations now or starting to see implementations where you've got a chat bot answering medical questions for patients, which is a little, yeah. little scary in my book. So can you talk a little bit about, about that whole it's rip and replace? a physician for chat for GPT versus the approach that you and Altera are taking?
1: Yeah, it's you know it'd be one thing if it was a reliable source of knowledge, right? And and obviously all of us have seen the test that it can pass the USMLE and right it it does well on, on standardized uh testing uh but there there's no indication to date uh, that it can replace uh, the, the knowledge and experience of a provider who is working right, hand in hand with with patients. Uh, so our, our intention is just to augment uh, to give these providers a superpower and and in the near term, like I mentioned, to specifically address the challenge of taking what's in their head and translating that into discrete data, that needs to be collected for regulatory, clinical, and billing considerations.
0: Well, I think that's the correct approach and in, in my opinion. I, I think that um, it has a lot of potential in that regard. And if it can, uh, is the, the smarter it gets, the better it will be. But I'm curious how smart it will get over time. That's yeah. It's, it's gonna be a real interesting thing to watch. Yeah. So what else would you like our listeners to know about what you're doing at Altera and TouchWorks and? where can people find out more
1: uh well so we we are planning to start rolling out a lot of this uh newer functionality in the in the next 12 months we're we're, we're hoping to be able to talk more about this at, at some upcoming shows at at VEV and and you know HIMs next year uh it's going to be an exciting uh journey for all of us i i as a developer am more excited uh, at this point, going to work every day than I was in, uh, you know, two thousand going to to Greenway for the first time because the technology is, you know, the tools we have today, uh, I, I I think are really going to change
0: everything. So I asked this question of everyone at at the we're getting close to the end of our podcast. If if you had a magic wand and you could wave it and change one thing, just one thing in medicine, what would it be? I. Uh, <laughs> I would
1: go back to what I said earlier about regulation. Give us as an industry five years. Don't change any more regulations. Let us refactor our code bases. Let us take advantage of the generative AI stuff. Let us truly innovate
0: to improve our systems. We'll all be in a better place. So if someone wants to get a hold of you, Bob, how would they do that? Uh we I I I can be contacted by my
1: <laughs> email address, uh Robert.taylor at elterrahealth.com, Uh or you can just go to elterrahealth.com and go through our you, you know website to, to get contact information. Or our friends at
0: Medicom can, can steer you in my direction. Bob, as always, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I think it's going to be very informative to our listeners. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Great. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. At MetaComp Sys or myself at MetaComp Doc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.